Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. I think it's finally happened, PJ. The new intro has just become ingrained uh, to the point where I don't think I can actually remember the old intro. It was something about how great I am, I think. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, you see, now we do that part off air, you know. <laughs> I spend a little... Oh, actually, we, when we started, when we got online this morning, uh, the first thing that went through my head was actually PJ's voice at about 2,000 decibels <laughs> because I forgot to turn down my, my microphone, my speakers, whatever. I think um, everyone should listen to me at 2,000 decibels because I have things to say and oh, they need to be heard. He has opinions and we should, we should all be honoured to hear them. Hmm. <laughs> But PJ, I think I know the answer to this because we've chatted online. No, sorry, we've chatted. Anyway, I'm sorry, words. I'm tired. How are you? I mean, I have a five-month-old, so... I know. I feel bad every time we start a, these a conversations. A five-month-old with a cold at the moment. So. Oh, oh, well. And sure. he's teething. All right, okay, you win. You yeah. win. You know, every yeah. time I want to say, like, oh, PJ, I'm feeling tired. Oh, PJ, man, I've had a tough week. I, then I have to remind myself, no, 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 no. You're holding down a job and you're raising a child. Like, your, your, your suffering is, 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 is much far more noble than mine. Yes, and we all need to remember that, quite frankly. <laughs> oh, yeah, you never let me forget it. Uh, often in a very loud, forceful voice as well. Yes, as, mu- as loud as possible. No one, no one knows suffering like I do. No one's ever parented <laughs> before. Uh, but PJ, uh, we are we're back in the world of JLA. And, we are, and wonderfully, the world of Doom Patrol. We, we are, yes. My uh, my first ever exposure to the team. I have been sorry. I've, we were we were wondering where our random trains of thought would take us this week, and um, one here we go. Us. Wanish has popped into my head. Uh, this week, I, in addition to, of course, reading uh, the subject matter for this this episode, of course, doing my homework, um, I was rereading the um, oh gosh, the 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 Morrison penned, which we will have to get to, reappearance of the Ultramarine Corps in the pages of JLA. Oh, uh, in JLA classified. Yes, yes, that's the one. Yes, yes. I, no, we 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 are going to cover those three issues. They are they are on the uh, on the list for sure. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and and also um, I have been rereading bits of Seven Soldiers of Victory. Oh, okay. Don't ask me why. Uh, it just you know kind of. Uh, I mean, your whims are your own. That's. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was on the shelf. I could see it. 
Uh, I've been kind of bouncing about reading it in completely random order, which I, I think is in keeping with the spirit of Seven Soldiers of Victory. And I was again struck by the incredible... Well, actually, no, no. They, my subconscious maybe knew something which my higher brain didn't. What do those two stories have in common, PJ? Seven Soldiers of Victory and the Ultramarines. Yes. Uh, Grant Morrison. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, you've done it, PJ. Uh, the... <laughs> They share a villain. I can't remember who the villain is in uh, well, Seven Soldiers of Victory. This is the bizarre thing for me. And again, the idea that I, I, I can think of no other creator who's allowed this level of freedom in an editorial sense where they can have entirely almost their own continuity, which only applies to titles they're writing. Hmm. But in the Ultramarine Corps story, which we will get to, uh, I believe that is the first appearance of the Shida, who are the kind of Morrison's take on like the fairy folk. Oh, yes. Mind control-y sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also Nebula, the huntsman. Yes. any bells. Yes, there we go. Yeah, who pops up again in Seven Soldiers of Victory and plays quite a major role there. I didn't enjoy Seven Soldiers of Victory. I tried, but I just couldn't get into it. It's it's very much an acquired taste. Mm. Um, like, yeah, I, I don't want to make apologies. because I don't want to say like, oh, you know, it's intended to be disconnected. I mean, like, it is, but it is it it can be a jarring read because, yeah, it's it's an experiment. Like, the whole yeah. thing is an experiment. Um, I think there's a lot to like, but it, it is very... Like the tone shifts like wildly between all the various pieces, if you will. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's fair, and you know, got to give them props for trying. But yeah, it just wasn't for me that book. The weird thing, and again, go, going back to this weird kind of like Morrison continuity, and 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 I I'd, I say like, how on earth does this make sense in in the greater scheme of uh, DC continuity? And I, I think probably just best not to worry about it <laughs> yeah because <laughs> um uh nebula the huntsman uh is a living universe mm. who has obviously a kind of humanoid figure you know like very much like um eternity from marvel you know kind of like stars on the inside sort of thing and nebula the huntsman is the adult form of the infant universe of Kuek, I want to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're good at pronouncing weird sixth-dimensional words, PJ. Uh, it's like Q-W-E-W-Q or something like a Q-E-W-Q. Yeah, I, I, I've never been able to get that one. I was just sort of gone quack in my head, but that just quack. sounds like a, a duck, so and, evil and duck, quack. <laughs> and who lives... In the infant universe of Quek, PJ. I can't remember. We do. Do we? Yes. Yes, we do. Because in, and we will get there, but in the Ultramarine Corps story, the League go into that universe, which is a universe which grew up, well, something was wrong with it, and it was born with no superheroes. That is so, something wrong with it. So it's it's our world. It's it's miserable. We don't have heroes. That's kind of the problem. And in, well, oh PJ, you've started me on one now. In <laughs> Rock of Ages, when 
Kyle arrives on Wonderworld, mm. the moat uh, gives him a tour through their yep. kind of Museum of Wonders. And what's in the Museum of Wonders? Well, Quack, Quack, however mm. it's pronounced. I yeah. do remember that, yeah. Quack is in, is in the universe. Quack, Quack. Sorry, is, quack, is in quack. the Museum of Wonders. Quack, Quack, Quack. Yeah, Quack, Quack, yeah. <laughs> and in All-Star Superman, what does All-Star Superman create? Quack. Quack. <laughs> you see, PJ, it's all connected. It is, but I don't think anyone's ever said quack this many times in <laughs> such a short space of time. It's, maybe um, maybe the nature of like higher dimensional words is that they can only be read. Like, you know, because <laughs> I can't say mix plick a lick. Mix your spit a lick. Thank you. Yes, I can't, I can't say that, you know. <laughs> so... There we go, PJ. Now, now, quite how the hell that works, I do not know. But All-Star Superman, as one of the 12 legendary feats of Superman before he dies, spoilers, uh, creates the infinite, infinite, infant universe of Quek, then goes to live in the sun for like a million or whatever years before emerging in DC 1 million as the ultimate golden Superman. Yeah. Who again makes a repeat appearance in a time travel story in All Scar Superman. Is it's this making a... is this making this is making perfect linear sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Completely. I'm I haven't zoned out at all. And people say that Morrison's work is hard to follow. I mean like this is <laughs> this is clear as day. Clear as day, PJ. <laughs> no, to be fair, I do love All Star Superman. Oh, it's it's hard not to, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, what was the point of this? Anyway, so yeah, I have randomly been reading. Clearly, my subconscious knew something which I didn't. I have been reading stories that are connected to the greater Morrison continuity. That's my excuse. I wasn't just slacking off. <laughs> and I have not. <laughs> and I helped <laughs> barely. Uh, we do have we do have a letter, PJ. Yay! I do like a letter. Uh, and it is from friend of the show, Chris the Monica Murphy. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Uh, keeping us... Well, I was going to say keeping us honest, but um, no, re- really just being being great as ever, just having, like, kind of cool things to say. Um, uh, although, um, uh, I think we both... We all have apologies to make here uh, because he, <laughs> he would like to draw attention to... Um, Your comic genius. My my comedic genius and uh, the the puns that I apparently made in the previous episode and which PJ failed to acknowledge, um, I I, I feel PJ needs to apologise, but also I need to apologise because I wasn't aware I was making puns. I'm not apologising. Maybe, right, maybe they just weren't very good. PJ... Um, I think we're gonna we're getting a little glimpse here at, at PJ's parental style, parenting style. Um, PJ does does not celebrate mediocrity, you know, like oh. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, PJ will only praise his child when he does something truly remarkable. He's got to be exceptional, exceptional or nothing. Um, but no, the, the offending jokes were um, apparently. I say that how was hogging the limelight, which is far cleverer than 
I, I think I had any right to be in the moment. <laughs> and also that Aquaman was uh, acting a bit salty. This passed Cause, me by entirely. Because lime is green, right? Like like Green Lantern. And, yeah. and Aquaman lives in, in the sea, which is salt water, so it's salty. Yes. Um, I think I think... I think we both had a good run, PJ, as creative types. Um, well, you've but, peaked, that's for sure. Well, I mean, I'm just saying there's a there's a season to all things, and I I think uh, you know it's time to just hang up hang up our pencils. I think we we have both failed as writers. Um. Okay. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> I'm retire. Drag- I'm dragging you down with me, basically. Yeah, I had a run. <laughs> you had a good run. Well, um, thank you, Chris for uh bringing that up um makes uh bring, brings a couple of conversation points to the table uh one of them being our recent discussions about the authority which i feel um is generally always in the back of my mind like yeah except i it's an interesting the authority in themselves are a very interesting kind of team or concept because i feel like they burned very bright very fast and then never really sustained that energy. I think after the initial um, Ellison Hitch and then uh, Miller and Quietly, I don't think it ever quite reached that peak again. Hmm. And it does make you wonder with the long- longevity of the series, how, how much of its popularity was, I don't know, was the concept and the spectacle bigger than the actual series if that makes sense like if the, the whole thing in a nutshell was it was superheroes who were morally i don't know things were you know if you did bad things you got killed that was basically it yeah it's almost like a it's like a ted talk it kind of exists on its own um i, I very much enjoyed it at the time I, I really did i i i don't know i think we've talked about this before but i, I don't know how much of the um aggressive cynicism that came in particularly under miller i don't know how well that has aged really probably as well as most of miller's work yeah it's a sad truth isn't it (laughs) yeah but um the thing that uh now 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 the thing that chris brings to the table which of course we can't really deny is that is the impact that the authority kind of had because rightly so uh chris draws the line from miller's work on the authority to miller's work on the ultimates which i'm fairly certain the ultimates came pretty much directly after the authority i think so yeah yeah this is like 2000 i mean like morrison has left dc to go do new x-men Miller's kind of picked up the authority, which I think at the time was pretty much like a very big gig for him. Like that's a real kind of like flagship title that's making waves. And then from there, you know, Marvel's like, oh, we want to do a more quote unquote modern telling of our classic characters. Who's the best person to do it? I think Miller was just kind of there. Yeah, pretty much. And from there, you can draw a direct line to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think in terms of um, the visuals, yeah. But I think thematically and stylistically, the MCU doesn't take so much from the Ultimates because it's not nearly so um, 
jaded, shall we say. <laughs> no, and I think I think that's a blessing. Yes. Um, but that's certainly where it's because of the ultimate so that we, we, we get this concept of the Avengers kind of initially at least being a branch of shield or like a branch of yes. military and Nick Fury well basically being Samuel L. Jackson, but also being kind of right at the heart of it. Yeah. Um but yeah, so um interestingly, so you know, the the authority casts a big shadow. And uh, a story which uh, Chris brings to our attention is uh, Marvel's The Order from 2002, which I confess is a series that I've really only seen the images of. I've never actually read. I I had it. I read it as it was coming out because um, Kurt Busiek was doing did a run on Defenders with Eric Larson at the same time as he was doing his Avengers run uh, with. Um, with George Perez, and they vaguely tied into each other a little bit, but just because it was Busick and I was enjoying it, I bought it. And then that run on the Defenders is what led into the order. So that run on the Defenders has the conceit that the four original Defenders, so Hulk, Doctor Strange, Namor, and Silver Surfer, have like a, a, a curse placed on them <laughs> where whenever there's some kind of massive threat, whatever is they're all doing, all four of them are mystically brought together to face it. Mm-hmm. And they just start getting really annoyed by it. And that then leads to the order, which is them going, well, let's get rid of all threats ever so that this stops happening to us. When did um, when did the original Defenders as a concept kind of originate? Does that doesn't go all the way back to the 60s, does it? I think it's maybe late 60s, because you certainly get in the early 70s the, the Avengers Defenders War um, crossover, which is a six-issue series, three issues of each book, where they essentially it takes the Contest of Champions JLA Avengers template, where two villains, in this case Loki and Dormammu, pit the teams against each other in small groups, and then they join up to fight the villains at the end. And... Wow, okay, honestly, I've never heard of that. And on that kind of, like, who who was, I don't know, like, what was the lineup of Defenders at that point? Because uh, even when I think of the Order, you've got that image of, like, you know, Silver Surfer among them, but he wasn't part part of the team originally, was he? No, no, he, he actually joined a little bit later on, but sort of late has been like similar to Captain America, although I think with a bigger gap, has been sort of granted founder-defender status. Um, but then you also had, like, Nighthawk. Um, during the Avengers Defenders War, Hawkeye was actually a defender rather than an Avenger. Uh, oh, wow, well. wow. Um, you get Gargoyle. Um, he's, Wait, he's... the villain? No, 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 that's Grey Gargoyle. Oh, sorry, Grey Gargoyle. <laughs> um, uh, who else was on the Defenders at that point? Oh, my... my... Yeah. I Valkyrie. Think... Valkyrie. I, I, oh god yes no you're right you're right i feel like my brain is conflating i guess kind of 70s era defenders with the ch- the champions yeah well i think there was a later defenders team that did have beast and angel on and i think that sort of then led to angel forming the champions to sit on the defenders i think isn't like that's what do you suppose was the creative or editorial choice to i don't know create the defenders or the champions because it's like marvel had a pretty good assortment of teams if well you i think defenders was designed to be a team that wasn't a team so right. it was um 
at first anyway, because it was sort of the loner characters who Marvel was saying these guys wouldn't fit on the Avengers. So sure. Hulk, Doctor Strange, Namor, all of whom have subsequently joined or rejoined the Avengers. Yes, <laughs> um, indeed, yeah. Uh, and and made it into an Outsiders who were just sort of brought together by chance and fate. Uh, it was only really Nighthawk who was like, this is a team, let's make it a team. Uh, um, and then the champions, I, I don't really... Because that never really lasted anyway. It was just such a weird, eclectic bunch. I mean, God, Angel, like Iceman, Black Hercules. Widow, Hercules, and Ghost yeah. Rider. <laughs> ah, yeah, that's like, who have we got, you know? Yeah. Who have we got? Um, yeah, it's, it's curious, isn't it? I mean, I'll tell you who who's weird to me, PJ, is Nighthawk. Like, because my, my sole kind of introduction to Nighthawk is the... Um, well, first, the quote-unquote evil Nighthawk from the Squadron Sinister, yep. I guess. Like that that early Avengers story where they go into definitely not the DC universe yep. and fight definitely not the JLA. Yeah. And he's very much... He's, he's, the, he's the Batman of yeah. that world, isn't he? But then, of course, you eventually get the Squadron Supreme... And who are alternate from an alternate reality, but then, but then you've got like a Nighthawk running around in the main Marvel universe, and I th- I think that predates the Squadron Supreme getting stranded in the main Marvel universe. Is that- it does? Yeah, yeah. So how does that work? Do you have any knowledge about Nighthawk? Uh not really, to be honest. Obviously, I've read his sort of more recent appearances, but I've never read sort of his first appearances, so I don't know exactly how. He came to be, but yeah, that Marvel have like four or five Nighthawks, don't they? <laughs> you've then got the J. Michael Straczynski Supreme Power version of the oh, Squadron wow. Supreme as well, and yeah. All I know about Nighthawk, or I, and I, I assume one of the many iterations, is that his acrobat his acrobatic powers get stronger at night. Yeah. Okay, but that's about it. Is he? I, I like I. D- I, I don't I don't mean to turn this into a Nighthawk podcast. I'm just suddenly kind of fascinated how he's always around in the 70s, but I know nothing about him. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... um, I think he was just there to fill out the numbers, wasn't he? I'll tell you who's great, though. Uh, uh, Doc Spectrum. Yes. That's, that's a costume for the ages, PJ. Oh, yeah. No, big fan of Doctor Spectrum. Yeah. Anyway, so... Um, uh, sorry, the reason, once again... You see, I thought we'd end up going down some random kind of conversation tangents. We always do. Uh, so we have the order, which was kind of like um, a take on those kind of absolute absolutist kind of heroes. And if that reminds me, PJ, of the elite, who were very yeah. much kind of DC's take on the authority way before DC just basically ended up owning Wildstorm. Yeah. So did you ever read their first appearance, PJ? Um, I think it was a Superman, like a one-shot or like a long, a, like a double-length Superman um, story? I, I genuinely can't remember. I think I did, but I don't remember much about it. I think it's an early... Pe- I, I could have got this wrong, and I could reach over and grab the book it's in, but clearly that's too much effort for me. Um, I think it's an early pairing of Joe Kelly and... Um, Doug Mank. I may have got that wrong. 
Uh, and I think that's before Doug Mank came on as the main artist of JLA. Um, and this is kind of like in the run that eventually goes up to like issue 100 of the series that Morrison started. Hmm. But there, there was like a double length one shot. Was there a name for that sort of format, PJ, that you mentioned or like deluxe? I think or... they just called it like a 48 page special or something yeah. like that. And it was called like, it was called something to the effect of like, what's so old fashioned about truth, justice in the American way. Mm. It's quite a fun little story, actually. It's basically like kind of what if Superman encountered the authority yeah. or the kind of like legally distinct version of the authority. And, you know, what if Superman is faced with characters who, you know, kind of kill because we can't keep committing crimes if you're dead sort of sort of thing. I mean, true, you can't. No, no, it's true. And unless you're a uh, necroman. Or, well, how many villains haven't died at this point? Uh, 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 um, I keep saying Raz al Ghul, but it's Raish. Raish al Ghul. Raish al Ghul. Uh, yeah, he did crimes after he died. Uh, he loves it. Um, Solomon Grundy. Solomon Grundy, yeah. Who is yeah. a zombie anyway, so yeah. Um, so you can commit crimes when you're dead, and the authority are wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the elite, the elite were kind of fun, and um, I, I, uh, I, I particularly liked their um, their legally distinct version of the Doctor, who was like a wizard who could kind of do anything. Was the Hat, who had a had a hat that, and it was magic and could kind of do anything. <laughs> and then later on, uh, I'm just going off. Tan- I'm completely off, off, off track now. But in kind of around uh, issue 100, I think the issue 100 spectacular of mm. JLA was the JLA versus the the elite, a new elite led by Cisco Superior, and uh, the hat was now like a dragon. It was like a kind of a dragon wearing a hat, which was kind of fun. It was oh, like a, okay. a kind of oni, like a, a spirit, a demon creature. It was fun. It was good. <laughs> so that has been the completely random uh, authority imitator podcast, PJ. There we go. A, po- <laughs> a podcast within a podcast. Thank you, Chris, for getting in touch. Always a joy. PJ, where the hell are we? In, we are uh, JLA year one. The Doom Patroller here and most of the Justice League have lost their body parts. It's... Just another day on 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 the job for the Doom Patrol. Uh, a little out of the ordinary for the JLA. Yep, they came up against Pinky and the Brain, and the brain. <laughs> I mean, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Brain used a gizmo that Locus made to steal Jean's eyes, Hal's arm, Barry's legs, and Dinah's voice box, and has now again with the weird way this technology works has now made a genuinely unsettling uh new body for the brain um, yeah like a, a purple goop body yeah it's uh it's honestly a weird weird visual uh yeah. and uh again it is it is amazing to me and not in a bad way how much of uh jla year one is spent with the doom patrol <laughs> I am not complaining, but it's a it's a weird diversion. 
I, I just like that the cover to this issue is basically a redo of the panel from the end of the previous issue because they enjoyed it so much the first time. They were like, let's just do that again. I I, except, I mean, that kind of tells you everything you need to know, doesn't it? From, yeah. Uh, and I think Barry Kitson just enjoys drawing this, this awful character. <laughs> who I do I, choose to believe has Black Canary's voice. I mean, he draws the hell out of it, so why, why not? <laughs> why the hell not? Um, so, yes... Um, Due to a crazy kind of gene splicing surgery gun, um, the the brain is on a rampage, basically. Yep, he really is. Do you suppose this is like a kind of like from Locus's perspective? Do you think um, the Brotherhood of Evil are on like retainer, or is this like a freelancing or contract situation? Are they are they splitting profits? I think they're freelancers. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's just nice to get very talented. Really. Yeah, so any anything that the Brotherhood of Evil creates actually belongs to Locus while oh. they're under contract. <laughs> yeah, maybe they get commissioned though. Like, yeah, well, you know, uh, marginally. Mar- yeah, you know, they'll get like a small percentage. And, and if it's used in a movie, they'll just get thanked. <laughs> <Yeah>, sorry. <laughs> but when Locus conquer the world and start making entertainment based on their achievements. Yeah, then the Brotherhood of Evil will just be special thanks. The wonderful. brain. With with consideration for the uh, unique <laughs> contribution of the Brotherhood of Evil, <laughs> they'll get that kind of like golden uh, golden go away from from Marvel. Like you know, here's a check for two thousand pounds. Don't sue us. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so uh, yeah, things are uh, not looking good for our heroes as they have lost all manner of body parts, which they would probably have preferred not to lose. And so. <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> That's underselling it, but yeah. I, I really can't think of a different way of putting it, PJ. Uh, and and so they've all retreated to the um, to Avengers Mansion, aka uh, Doom Patrol headquarters. Doom Mansion, surely. Doom Doom Mansion. Uh, the Doom Room would have been a better. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, they've retreated to their swanky kind of mansion in the middle of town. Yeah, and because the Doom Patrol has a scientist, right? He's just fixed the JLA basically he's just welded a robot arm onto Hal's body that Hal can use to shoot energy blasts yeah um I mean um I I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that guy PJ I'm gonna be nitpicking here but given the incredible things which the chief makes for them if I was robot man I'd be like can can I have a laser you know (laughs) no robot man you have the strength of a robot and that's it uh okay uh but yeah so um uh old uh hal now has a uh a big old uh robot arm which a big 90s gun arm yeah he he really looks like he could be a member of uh i want to say like young blood now uh <laughs> maybe he'd be called like barrage or something like that it reminds me of the time in uh, Eric Larson's run on Spider-Man when Spidey got a cyborg arm, but it was actually just a cast because he broke his arm. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had a bandage around his head and like a... a yeah. You could, I remember that action figure. He I didn't own Spider-Man it. Spider-Man Deathlock. There we go. There we go. Um, but yeah, so uh, I was going to say uh, it's, it's a robotic arm, but really it, it is just a robotic cannon. Uh, it doesn't have a hand like all good '90s robot arms. It's just a just a big old gun, yeah. and um, it's thought controlled. So, um, uh, yeah. So I guess Hal has a particularly aggressive 
uh, idea for a moment because uh, it lets out a massive blast of energy and blows a hole in the wall. Yeah, which is where we see how the chief has repaired the rest of the JLA. So Jean has a big helmet with a visor on his head for, for his eyes. Dinah has like a metal mask over her nose and mouth. <laughs> Barry's <laughs> Barry's got a big circular pod wheelchair thing. Yes. Yes, so, indeed. Yeah. Now again, this is where this is where the nitpicking comes in, Peach, because if you can if you can use all this incredible tech to mostly replicate the powers of uh the league i'd be like why not just double up you know like when we see what we're about what they're about to be capable of i'd be like why not give everyone like diner's mask or give everyone like Hal's gun you know why why diversify <laughs> i mean he'd have to cut their arms off to give them Hal's gun arm well ah oh, well that's just, i mean if they're, if they're really heroes they'd make that sacrifice <laughs> but here we get the title and credits, some of their parts. Mark Wade, Brian Augustin, Barry Kitson, Storytellers, Michael Baird, John Stokes, Inkers, Ken Lopez, Letterer, Pat Garrahy, Colorist, Heroic Age Separations, Peter Tomasi, Editor. And this is the JLA having to adapt to their new situation. And we sort of see that it's not quite as good as if they had their actual body parts, because Jean says he can see, but just like through a fog, as the visor links to his optic nerves. Uh, Black Canary can sort of speak. Um, I should say that, you know, uh, John, John is wearing quite a natty kind of helmet at the moment. Yeah. And it is still not the worst costume that they have ever put John in. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say, it, PJ, every attempt to modernize John's costume has been worse. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah. 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 I just I just stop touching it, people. Leave it alone. <laughs> Um, and again, raising the question, because uh, they have this conversation and uh, the chief asks Jean, how many senses does he have, even without eyes? And he says eight. So I would I would perhaps say that of all the leaguers, Jean it should maybe be perhaps the, the least uh, kind of inconvenienced by not having eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he it's still, you know, he can't use his Martian vision anymore. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and as for the Flash, he apparently, somehow the Chief has managed to link his speed energy to the radiation that powers Negative Man, so the Flash can create like a negative lightning creature to run in his place. And that's actually pretty cool. That is that is pretty cool. I mean, I, that that's not just that's not just engineering. There's a degree of artistry there. Quite you know, frankly, that is witchcraft. <laughs> the Chief has thought long and hard about keeping on brand. So, yeah, it wasn't just, oh, we need to make Flash some robot legs. Let's make him a negative man kind of imitator, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And you get the four members of the league sort of stood there going, well, we've got weirdness going on now. Aquaman stood a little bit away because he wasn't hit by the... He didn't lose any body parts. And the Doom Patrol's going, wow. Look at these poor guys. And what about Aquaman? He's not one of them, and he's also not one of us. Isn't that strange? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah I mean, that 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 them's them's the themes of the story, PJ. Yep, right there. Uh, but you know, the league are obviously very dispirited, uh, not feeling great about the situation. But they're like, no, the the people of Manchester. That's um, not 
the British Manchester. No. But the, pe- the people of Manchester, they need us. We have to be heroes. We have to be, you know, we have to do the right thing. And uh, so they have a bit of an all-for-one, one-for-all moment, which they don't invite Aquaman to join. Yeah, he's, he still just stood apart from them. And then at the beginning of the page, the Doom Patrol going, oh my God, these poor guys. And now the Doom Patrol going, look at these guys, they're amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they I need our help. I know. I, I'd be like, uh, you know, if I was the Doom Patrol, I'd be like, guys, come on. Like, you know, you've been in this, you know, you, you've been, your powers have been grossly, grossly altered in for like an hour. You know, we, we've been living like this for a while. Okay. <laughs> You're such an inspiration. Oh my god, they're so inspirational. They're tourists. They're just <laughs> passing through. Um, but the brain's been busy, PJ. So he's he's built a power ring fortress in the heart of Manchester, which is a very strange sentence to read. A big green castle. Arguably <laughs> the most interesting thing that's happened in any Manchester, uh, potentially ever, anywhere. I mean, the Beatles... No, not the Beatles. They yeah, were Liverpool. Th- Who yeah, was I thinking of? I'll let that when, slide. No, Manchester was the '90s music scene in the UK, wasn't it? Like you, yeah, the Hacienda. Yeah, that that era. That's what I was thinking of. Not the Beatles. Stupid PJ. If this was, if this was like, uh, well, this came out in '98, didn't it? So I guess if this was the uh, the actual Manchester back home, uh, everyone would be walking around in bucket hats and like the Stone Roses would be playing in shell suits. Yeah, yeah, it was sw- <laughs> swaggering. There'd be a lot of swaggering. <laughs> <laughs> so that's jokes yeah, there in, for in, nobody. Inside their big green castle, the uh, the Brotherhood of Evil, I nearly called them the Legion of Doom there, God, um, are arguing because the brain, Monsieur Maller and Madame Rouge are like, ah, this is all good. But Morden is saying, you know, locusts are going to come for that big gun they made. They're going to want it back and the brain isn't going to surrender it. And then Mala goes, oh, all right, fine. He goes over to the brain and says, Master, we have concerns. And the brain is all, over, Locus. No, this is mine. And I will take down the Doom Patrol and the JLA. Ha 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 I mean, Morden is a bit of a, you know, he's a, he's a bit of a killjoy, really. I can kind of see why the, the Brotherhood of Evil eventually try to kill him, which is what leads to him becoming Mr. Nobody in the pages of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. There you go. There, there you, you go. go. Just have some fun, Morden. Lighten up. <laughs> but then we uh, we we get the first of our little team ups. The JLA and the Doom Patrol have split off into partnerships trios, and we start with Aquaman and Robot Man, the Orange Boys. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> quite. That's a theming, PJ. You don't get many orange heroes, so no, you, you don't. Know, you don't mixing it up a bit. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so um, they're they're creeping up on this big, uh, very Disneyland-esque green castle, which uh, the brain has built. It, it's sort of lacking detail, as if the brain doesn't have much imagination. Oh, that's a nice point. I like that. Mm. Uh, but and- Cliff is basically saying to Aquaman, "Hey, you know, you don't seem to one hundred percent fit in with the JLA. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you come and hang out with us, basically?" Yeah, he he says as well that he you know he doesn't really think Aquaman's got much of an accent, and he doesn't think he mumbles because he's got special robot ears. Um, but he also says, "Holy Hannah, that's some joint. We got to find some way of popping that green crib like a zit." And Aquaman just says, "If I did join your team, would you provide a translator? I can't understand a word you say." <laughs> and 
uh, yeah, and uh, so there's there's oh well, there's something in the grass. PJ it looks a bit like a snake, but it does. Uh, it uh, does. Aquaman is about to tell uh, Robot Man a secret. He's about to say, "Well, I don't promise not to tell anyone, but Green Lantern's power ring has a weakness." Uh, and at that exact moment, they are attacked by, well, well, uh, like a literal snake. Uh, it's uh, it's Madame Rouge with her big stretchy powers, like Miss Fantastic, and uh, yeah, she's 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 gone full elastic. Um, yep, not good. And she she shoves Robot Man out the way, grabs Aquaman, and starts to squeeze him. And he goes to punch her, and she says, "Oh, do not be barbaric. It is not polite to strike a lady." That was a terrible accent. I apologise. Uh, well, like, I mean, phonetically accurate. Um, and and then even Aquaman is going, well, you know, and people say I've got a weird accent. So we have it. It's in canon now. Aquaman does not like the French. <laughs> wow. Okay. Let's move on. And then he just punches her out. And that's very much the Aquaman from Morrison's JLA. <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, it doesn't seem to bother her too much. Uh, I guess because she's made of elastic. And then... Um, Cliff just uh, jumps on her and um, smacks uh, smacks her head into into a bit of rock and then uh, ties ties her into a big knot, basically. Yeah, and then they proceed to the Green Castle, and Aquaman tells Cliff that the ring has the weakness against the color yellow, and gives him his belt. So Cliff just wraps Aquaman's yellow belt around his hands and starts pounding at the castle wall. Now again, PJ. I, I just I'm just nitpicking because it's fun, but like if if the chief can make these incredible gadgets and gizmos for all of them, I'd be like, um, hey chief, you know, could you maybe make like a a yellow missile or like um, maybe just some yellow armor? Could you paint like Robot Man yellow? You know, just for no reason. Yeah, just I just think he'd look really neat if you did that. <laughs> uh but um but as it happens pj uh, someone else is trying to get into the castle and uh it's locus yep they've arrived in their little flying machines and are shooting at the castle because they've been betrayed by the brain and we now cut to black canary martian manhunter and elastigirl and black canary suggests they just hang back and let locus do some damage before they charge in uh, yeah, and um, leading to a bit of um, conversation between uh, the, the team. Um, but yeah, it's Black Canary and uh, Rita, Alaska, uh, Alaska Girl, are kind of chatting. And um, again, it, this is the, I think, I seem to remember, I seem to remember this maybe like it's an it's a, an afterword in the first collected edition of um, Morrison's Doom Patrol, where Morrison says that like, they always felt that Rita was the the slight odd one out from mm. the Doom Patrol because they make a big point about how like her size changing powers ruined her acting career, but certainly compared to Negative Man or Robot Man, her powers are you know not disfiguring, um, quite quite normal as superheroes go. So yeah, I think I think you know when Morrison. Uh, took over the series i think i think made an effort to to make real quote-unquote freakish heroes by comparison yeah so black canary just right out says that she's she's beautiful and and reed says well hollywood 
likes to hang labels on everything. Got my size changing powers, images, everything. And yeah, I was out. And then Jean says, well, I'm just baffled by this because humans aren't that different to each other. And even with my eyes, I couldn't see much difference. And I love your films. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, ex- again, I, I like... I think it gets forgotten sometimes, but like canonically, we know that Jean loves Oreos, mm-hmm. and he's a bit of a film buff. This this does occasionally come up. Yeah, well, he he points out when he first came to Earth, television was his window to language to culture. He saw many of Rita's chiller pictures, and he became a fan. So I do like the idea that uh, maybe like Rita's acting career was in kind of like. I don't know, quote unquote, like trashy horror movies. Which oh would yeah, be, which would be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, like uh, Jean is a is a fan, which is nice. Uh, so he's he's containing himself quite well to not geek out being mere Rita. Uh, but at that exact moment, uh, they're attacked by uh, the most fearsome villain one could ever imagine: uh, a French uh, talking ape. Yeah, yeah. Monsieur Mala leaps in, and he's got some guns. Black um, Canary <laughs> tries to use her, her sonic cry on him, but she gets feedback and she can't control it. Jean tries to punch him, but he can't. The depth perception isn't quite there, so Mala dodges it easily. And then Elastigirl just grabs him in a giant hand and <laughs> throws him away at one of the locust flying devices. I mean, like, A for effort from Mala, but, like, he's no Grodd. Yeah. Oh, no. Grodd is the ultimate talking gorilla foe. Yeah, I mean... You know, Mala tries, and he's very devoted to the brain, and he eventually gets a rather snazzy beret. But um, he is just a big gorilla with a couple of guns here. So, I I mean, he tried. He tried. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But hey, from one um, underwhelming member of the Brotherhood of Evil to another, um, I wonder what the rest of our heroes are up to, PJ. Well, now we cut to Flash Negative Man and Green Lantern, and Lantern's pointing out that there is a time limit on the ring's power, that it needs recharging, but by the time it runs out, the brain may have realised the weapon's full potential, and they won't be able to stop him. So they need to act fast, and then he says, where there's a will, there's a way, as the Flash goes ahead to scope things out. A Negative Man goes, how? And it turns out they know each other. Uh, Yes, and again, uh, I think this is where... Well, I'm sure... um... Brian Augustin had a part in this, and I, I apologise, I don't mean to make it very one-sided, but I think this is where Wade in particular's knowledge shines, because of course uh, Larry Trainer was a test pilot, which mm. is how he became infected with the negative spirit. Yeah, and he basically it turns out he and Hal used to fly together, and he recognises Hal because Hal used to say, where there's a will, there's a way, all the time. So... <laughs> Yeah, they have a nice little bonding moment, which is is quite lovely. Yeah, it's like it's like, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know that's that's that would never occur to someone who did not know these characters intimately. Yeah. So yeah, again, that's what you get on a Wade book. And Damn right. Probably also Barry <laughs> Augustine, but sorry, yeah, Wade just more familiar with his work. Um, but hey, hey, it's uh, he, guess who's here? It's it's Doctor Morden. He's also here. He doesn't even have a cool um supervillain name but he does have a big red robot yeah he's stolen one of dr robotnik's end of game (laughs) mech suits from (laughs) uh yeah i mean the best thing that could have happened to uh morden is becoming mr nobody uh he is much more interesting i should i would say 
<laughs> but uh, Green Lantern's laser hand isn't doing much damage to the, the mech suit. Um, Flash and Negative Man both send their avatars at him, and they do manage to crack the screen, so Flash's speed avatar gets inside and pulls Morden out, and the fight's over. Yeah, I mean, really, before it began... Um... I do, I do love Negative Man. It's such a weird, weird power. And, and uh, a really cool visual. An incredible visual. Yeah, I think it's remarkable. The fact that he's always got this long trail heading back to Larry's body and, and just tied to him like that. Yeah, it's it's really, really cool. And, and Kitson draws the heck out of it again. And I know I'm a cracked record, but, you know, if you ever... If you ever do want to track down... and uh, Just listeners, if you ever do track down the Morrison run... Um, what they do with with Larry Trainer and Negative Man, or the character Rebus, uh, it just gets weirder and more wonderful, and I I, I really love it. Big fan. <laughs> I I really need to read that book. But PJ, um, I've had exact moment. Uh, Disneyland, uh, blows up. Big green Disneyland. Yeah, Hal reckons that with Locus's attack and everything else, the brain's losing his concentration. He hasn't mastered the ring yet. And then a big green energy blast bursts out of the ground and Flash says, well, I think he's starting to get the hang of it. And yeah, the brain in his new body is just firing green lantern blasts all over Locus and blowing their tiny ships up. And he's uh, and he's he's uh, screaming with Black Canary's voice. Uh, he's he's doing Martian vision, not heat vision, I should say. So yeah, he's like um, he's he's just causing all kinds of havoc. Basically, it's going yep. great. But the League of the Doom Patrol charge at him. But the brain is prepared. He's grabbed Negative Man. He fires a green blast, which destroys Flash's wheelchair. Uh, knocks out Black Canary and Robot Man and Aquaman and traps everyone else in a big green cage. Yeah, um, yeah, I, he's he's uh, he's uh, he's done. He's pretty good at this, PJ. I guess I guess you could say he's a bit of a thinker, or he's got a big brain. Um, Are you trying too hard now, John? Well, he's just showing off now. He's being an idiot. So uh, he's uh, he's monologuing basically. So he uh, he tracks. He he traps the league and the Doom Patrol in a in a big green stone just because he can. Then he traps them in a big green bubble so he can kind of like drown them in in big green liquid. Uh, then he traps them in a big game of Kaplunk. Yeah, basically. Yep. Um, that was the exact reference I was going to make too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So once again, just should have pushed the advantage rather than toying with them. It's always it's always the hubris that gets gets the villains. Yeah. And Aquaman says to Flash he has to do something. Negative Man will die if he's not back in his body within 60 seconds. But Flash can't concentrate. And Black Canary has found a dying locust scientist. And she says, I can see your lungs. Try not to move. Good God. <laughs> That's it's awful. It's awful. God. I, 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 think, I don't think I'd react well if someone told me they could see my lungs. But this guy's no. just like, no, we've got to retrieve the ray and, and do the plan. We've got to build host bodies for us and another so we can survive the coming holocaust and then he dies and black canary says holocaust yeah um so uh flash uh could for example uh walk on his hands right now like yeah maybe he could use his 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 arms are still super speed you know he could crawl at super speed pj uh but it looks like this might be a job for aquaman yeah, so Flash points out the ring responds to willpower, and Aquaman's got lots of that steel control. 
And Aquaman says, all the way from here? And Flash says, no, and unleashes his speed avatar, which carries Aquaman up to the brain. Aquaman leaps on the brain's back and just points out that for a brain, he's not very intelligent. He's ignoring the other gifts in favour of Green Lanterns. That makes him limited. And that's what happens when you rely on only the power of one person. PJ, that's that's thematic. That has resonance. Because how did this story open, last issue? With stuff happening. With Hal hogging the limelight. Well, yeah, he and did, not relying he? on his teammates. <laughs> but See, yes. now, I, now I need to think of an excellent pun to describe... What so um I think all that power went to the brain's head, PJ. Almost. Uh so yeah, if you ever wanted intense close-ups of a sweaty Aquaman and a sweaty kind of purple homunculus thing, uh each trying to out-concentrate the other, uh this is your moment, basically. Yeah, and Aquaman's willpower, it turns out, is greater than the brain's. As gripping the brain's wrist, he manages to use Hal's ring to create a giant green cutlass and cuts the brain off the body. Uh, There is um, an amazing... I've mentioned it in the previous issue, but there is an amazing issue of Doom Patrol, which I think is the ultimate brain and Monsieur Mala story, which has a brilliant moment where uh, Cliff... uh, his brain is currently out of his body at the time. Uh, he's in a he's in a tank while his body is repaired, and um, Monsieur Mala th- throws the brain uh, at Cliff's brain, <laughs> and so these two brains in jars are just lying next to each other, and you have the brain going. Finally, Cliff Steele, my greatest enemy. This will be our final battle. And it's just two brains lying next to each other. <laughs> and you just, Cliff just goes like, good grief. <laughs> like, what, what's happening? Yeah, so the brain goes flying, shouting it's not fair. And Rita says, I cut this. And Hal just says, go with what you know. I do. There is a part of me that goes, is that how the ring works? Like if someone with superior willpower just grabs your arm, could they steal control of the ring that way? But, you know, I don't care. I'll go with it. It's a cool visual. It's a fun little moment. I guess you'd need to have quite incredible willpower. I can, I guess if you were making contact with it, it, it yeah. might be possible. Yeah, and I, the thing with, I guess, Green Lanterns as well is they have to have, like, the ultimate level of willpower, isn't it? So it would be almost impossible to wrest it away from an actual Green Lantern. But if someone who isn't a Green Lantern and is inexperienced is using it, then... Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess. I guess like um I guess the equivalent would be like a like a lightsaber or something. Like I guess just about anybody could pick it up, but like you're more than likely to just kind of chop your own yeah. head off. Um <laughs> uh God, that's thematically resonant as well, isn't it? Lots of heads getting getting chopped off. Um but it's okay because he's a he's a purple goo monster. Yeah, um, we're fine with them getting their heads chopped off. And uh, but yeah, so it's happy days though. Uh, you know they've, they've decapitated a monster and um, defeated the villains, and uh, and so it looks like uh, uh, a job well done for the Doom Patrol and their newest member, Aquaman. Yep, Robot Man says you're going to be right at home with the Doom Patrol, and Hal says, "Hey, forget it. He belongs to the JLA, and we're lucky to have him." Uh, yeah, and uh, they've got the the Gene Craft gun, which. I don't think we commented on uh, is just like an amazing cartoonish 
four-barreled bazooka kind of thing, which I, I love. And uh, they can use it to fix up the poor poor people of um, of Manchester and um, and themselves as well, because as Negative Man says, you know, you're giving us freaks a bad name. Basically. Yeah, yeah. And this weird bit where Hal has he's put the ring on his other hand. Um, but he's also got a bubble behind him that has his arm, Flash's legs, and then just like two <laughs> tiny eyes and what I'm guessing is meant to be a voice box I, floating I'd in it. rather not think about that. No. That's, that's Yeah, that's grimy. Imagine you're Barry Kitts and you get that script. Draw a voice box in a bubble. Can it be in the distance? <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. No, we want an extreme close-up. Yeah. Uh, you know, for kids. I hadn't really thought about that because if you're like... Hey guys, good news! I found my arm, and I found Hal's legs, and I found Jong's eyes. And it's like, do you find my voice box? And I'd be like, does anybody know what a voice box looks like? like <laughs> I found this weird, goopy thing. Is that your voice box? I guess it's not purple slime. So I, I, I guess that's something. <laughs> and then as the the league fly off, Cliff picks up the brain and says, "Yeah, this happens when you cross the Doom Patrol." And Elastigirl says, you can't take all the credit for this one, Cliff. And he just goes, watch me. <laughs> yeah. I also do like the idea of him just now relentlessly tormenting the brain. Yeah. Like a, fi- like a fish in, a qu- in, an- in an aquarium, because you can. <laughs> uh, so, yes, yeah, so then we cut back to uh, the Doom Room. And, um, yeah, it's like uh, all's well that ends well. The, uh, the League are all back together. Um, very happy for it. And... Um, uh, the general, sorry, no, I'm getting my work wrong. The chief uh, is recounting how uh, a previous villain of theirs, General Immortus, uh, who um, I think, just as a weird bit of Doom Patrol trivia, may have been responsible for, quote unquote, the death of the original team. Oh, which, okay. With, uh, I think I think they went to an island to solve a, something that General Immortus has been up to and a bomb blew up seemingly killing much of the team so i don't know weird bit of, i don't know anything else about general immortus no i don't i i don't think i've ever encountered him <laughs> the chief says ah oh, he once did something very similar to us i wonder if locus has been employing him as well hmm hmm uh but yeah and cliff is like well i guess we'll never know because the uh because locus i uh, basically did a team rocket and just blasted off into the sky <laughs> Uh, and um, yeah, and uh, so, but uh, yeah, Black Canary very rightly points out that uh, well, look, you know, they said they're they're planning for an upcoming Holocaust. I mean, we can't take that light lightly. Um, you know, they're they're up to something. They were trying to combine powers. They were trying to uh, you know, do weird things, and their technology is incredible. Like um, but yeah, they're. This is this is bad in a way. Like there could be a developing plot, basically. Mm. And Robot Man says, "Well, if we learn anything, we'll we'll buzz you, but don't let us interrupt your beauty sleep." And then he says to Aquaman, "As for you, you're too small. We're gonna have to throw you back anyway. Keep those four in line." And Aquaman says, "Sure thing, Daddy O." (laughs) (laughs) So Robot Man asks, "Who's been coaching him?" (laughs) He's learning. He's learning. Have we ever seen an Aquaman who's basically a California surfer? Probably. Well, I think, yeah, I guess sort of the um, Batman Brave and the Bold version is kind of that. Ah, there you go. That could be a fun take. He likes to shout, outrageous! (laughs) 
Uh, but he does have a beard, doesn't he? In that, yeah, he's he's classic Aquaman, but with a beard. Yes, and uh, that is my wife's favorite version of Aquaman. <laughs> I like a I like a, a big booming voice. Uh, like, yeah. Anyway, anyway, sorry. Anyway, so um, uh, everyone's saying their goodbyes. Uh, Rita is chatting to Jean. I guess they're geeking out of a movie stuff. She says, "Well, as a matter of fact, I did meet Sigourney Weaver. I'm sure she'd approve of you." So. <laughs> yeah and then Hal and Larry are just having a conversation out on the balcony and Larry points out well what do you mean you don't know who's financing the JLA shouldn't you check something out like that that's like supervillain plot 82 <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I'm glad somebody said it um and uh yeah and I, I guess and of course drilling home the weird fact that the Doom Patrol have technically been superheroes longer than the League, mm. you know, because because Hal says, I mean, although of course the League are getting a lot more of the publicity, but Hal says, you know, how do you do it? You know, how do you deal with the responsibility? Um, you guys are, you know, we're we're new to this, and you guys are more established, and you know, Larry's being the kind of old hand, like giving him reassurance. He's saying, like, you know, you're doing pretty well. You're doing pretty well. I mean. And besides, you were always fearless when you were a pilot, so why are you so rattled all of a sudden? Yeah, and Hal says that he never really thought of the ring as a killing tool before today, and it's changed his perspective on what he's capable of. But Larry just says, look, take it from someone more experienced, never failing to use your abilities wisely, that's the real power. Don't forget that. And Hal thanks him and offers to give him another shot behind a stick in a plane. Uh, for an afternoon, which Larry seems to like the idea of and just whispers, take care, Hal, as the rest of the League and the patrol approach. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and again, they have, both teams have unlocked the power of mutual respect. And, um, you know, they say, you know, keeping touch and thank you. And so the League blast off into the night, mostly carried by Green Lantern. And, uh, you know, Robot Man says, hmm, you know, I wonder if we'll, you know, I wonder if we'll ever hear from them again. You know what the difference is between us and them? To which Rita says, yes, we had to have our lives taken away from us before we became heroes. To them, it just came naturally. The end. The end. Well, there we, there we go, PJ. Uh, thus leaveth the, uh, the Doom Patrol from this story. Yeah, and, you know, they... They played a key role, and it's 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 good to show sort of the difference between the two teams and and what the league are and what the Doom Patrol are to the DC universe. Well, yeah, and it's I don't know, it's 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 again we've said it a hundred times, but it's in it's always interesting where the creative team choose to devote their energies and to have like you know you've got a twelve issue miniseries. You know it's, it's coming to an end. So to make the decision to feature the Doom Patrol so prominently, it's an interesting one. And I, I think it benefits the series. And I think it's due in no small part to the creator's understanding of the DC universe. And as you said, kind of like the place the place for Doom Patrol playing it. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. And I think it helps the League realise sort of that themselves as well. It it helps Aquaman realise he does have a place on the Justice League, why he's there, and see Hal and Barry and Dinah and Jean sort of see 
how different things could have been for mm. them. And I think they sort of realize, okay, yeah, we're we're doing the right thing being this team. Yeah, and I guess, you know, they their their appearance comes at a point where everybody does kind of grow a little bit. Like um Hal gains a bit of humility, which I think is kind of needed. Mm-hmm. Um and it's interesting, of course, because uh unlike the Marvel universe, which of course made a big deal in the 60s of of having heroes who weren't beloved by the population like you know the x-men being the kind of gold standard of that um generally speaking the uh the dc universe doesn't have quite as many characters who fit that archetype um yeah superheroing is is kind of a legitimate respected profession in general um, so yeah, so it's interesting to spend a bit of time focusing on, you know, basically the one team that does that, which is the Doom Patrol. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and again, it, it's it, it's it's weird how many times the Doom Patrol, I guess, have met the Justice League over the years, <laughs> and sometimes it's kind of is that in canon? Is that not in canon? Have they met before? I mean, who knows anymore? Have they not met before? The um. I mean, even in Doom Patrol, Morrison's run, the League make a very brief appearance. And I think that's around the era of Justice League International, I want to say. Yeah. 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 And then my mind is again drawn to that John Byrne story in the latter days of the JLA series, started with Morrison, where the League meet the Doom Patrol for the first time again only I mean... it's not this doom patrol there's like it's kind of like the doom patrol but then there's weird other people on the team it's 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 weird there's a there's another monkey i seem to recall there's a four <laughs> there's a four-armed monkey this time because it's, it's surprising a... just how many talking apes the dc universe has to be honest well it is isn't it yeah there's that you... weird monsieur mala grod the ultra humanite detective chimp um, Kong, Kong gorilla yeah <laughs> yeah whereas yes. marvel only has gorilla man so oh 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 sorry and um who's the giant ape that um super, with kryptonite vision that superman would oh fight? god yeah um oh god uh, i can't remember his name but yeah 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 oh that's killing me um but yeah like it's also weird it's not only that the dc universe has so many talking apes it's that they have multiple examples of apes that fall into the same category because both the ultra-humanite and, I guess, kind of Grodd are both kind of genius apes. Even though I guess it could be argued that the ultra-humanite is not actually an ape. He looks enough like one. He looks enough like an ape. He counts. But you know what I mean? You've got got your brute apes. You've got your psychic apes. You've got your kind of mag-scientist apes. We've got it all, PJ. (laughs) It's even got Gorilla City. That is true. That is true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the confusion kind of bleeds in because we have a whole species of like hyper intelligent apes. But then also, I believe Malar is the result of experimentation by the brain. I think so. Yeah. I think he was originally a quote unquote normal gorilla. The ultra humanite is a is a human brain in the body of a of an albino gorilla. Hmm. 
I don't know what Detective Chimp's deal is. Um, I, I can't f- remember. I've read a couple of Detective Chimp's stories, but um, like in the ah uh, oh, conversation we were having last episode, the other um, pre prologue <laughs> to final uh, Infinite Crisis, sorry, storyline was the magic one, wasn't it? Where another Spectre rampage and Detective Chimp and some other ma- magic users had to gather to stop him. What was it called? Um. But that was the other one. That's where I first encountered Detective Chimp. Oh, sure, sure. And I want to say that the kryptonite monkey that Superman battled was like a kind of like NASA monkey that went up in a rocket and came back with superpowers. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Kong Gorilla was a man who could turn into a giant golden gorilla. Uh, Kong Gorilla. Kong Gorilla. There we go. But some of this, I mean, um, I, f- I think this is quite a wild, widely known phenomenon now. And I don't know how much of it is true or how much is just anecdotal, but there was that thing in the 60s where they kind of discovered that any comic with a monkey on the cover sold like 10 times as much as a comic without monkeys on the cover. Yep. And so... Every story was about shoehorning in monkeys or gorillas in some way. Hey, why not? Yeah, and and I guess maybe even going earlier, because like in the Golden Age Superman stories, you get stuff like those incredible covers, which were just like, my God, Lois, like that alien flower turned me into a gorilla and I can't turn back until I learn to tap dance. Like. Wasn't there actually a super monkey, or have I made that up? One of the super pets. There is a... Yes, but I think that might be like a kind of smaller monkey, like a kind of... Yeah. Um, like a capuchin monkey, but from Krypton. Yeah. <laughs> just, if you work for DC, you got to write a monkey in at some point. That's just in yeah. the contract. That's how it goes. Yeah. But there we go, PJ. There we go. <laughs> I also learned, apparently, in the after... Like the afterword, the design notes from uh, Morrison and Quitely's first Batman and Robin book that apparently yellow is a no-no in comics publishing. Really? Yeah, because apparently, uh, if Morrison is to be believed, it's a it's a well-known belief in comics publishing or I guess magazine publishing that yellow covers don't sell well. But they completely bucked the trend. They did a big yellow cover to the first issue and it went like triple platinum or however comic sales are measured so i guess it just proves there's no there's no basis to it at all i can think of a fair few covers to things that have yellow as a i mean most of the sinestro war (laughs) that is true that is true although i guess like if you're not in if you're not on board with color theory what are you even doing at that point true uh but pj is there anything more to say about the doom patrol uh, just that it was lovely to have them around for a couple of issues. It was nice to have them around. Um, and we've we've hit the halfway point. We have. That was that was issue six. So only six more to go, and year one is done. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say like it's downhill all the way now, but you know, we we've 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 hit a certain point. You know, there's momentum behind us now, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about what's to come. Yeah, we, we do have some cool stuff coming up, and I'm excited for next issue. Indeed. Well, PJ, uh, is there anything you'd like to shout about that isn't JLA-related? Uh, no, not today, thank you. Uh, do I have anything I'd like to shout about? 
No, I don't think I do. So we'll just keep it simple. Um, oh, <laughs> I guess on that note, I should say a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork. And another massive thank you to Elliot Red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune, Justice. And PJ, this has, as ever, been a pleasure. Um, would you please see us off in your own unique fashion? I'm going to Google what a voice box looks like. Oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.